right, all right. Well, welcome back to week two of Living in the Upside Down. Um, I don't know if you felt that way, but the only thing that I can really compare this very odd life experience over the last week or so to is um, summertime with my siblings growing up. Uh, I had a little brother who was four years younger than me and two sisters, and we didn't have Disney Plus and Netflix and all the streaming and smartphones and all those things. And so, you know, you get into a lot of trouble with your siblings when that's the reality. And I remember this one specific time. Uh, my little brother was really losing his mind, and he decided to chase me around the house with a broom. And so he's four years younger than me. He's probably eight or nine years old at this point, so he's never going to catch me. He's never actually going to hit me. And it's really funny to think about it. But one time, he got close enough to where he actually tried to strike me, and I moved, and he stuck that handle through one of the doors in our laundry room. And of course he knew instantly he's gonna be in trouble. I had that statement that runs through every big brother's dream. Oh my gosh, when mom and dad get home, you're dead. Um, and his response to all that was to find a big giant cat poster and place it over the hole like mom and dad wouldn't notice. Um, it was pretty funny and I love that story. I have no idea why we had a giant cat poster. Um, but I think about that because of the statement that you're dead, right? And if you have been with us, and I know last week was a bit different because we were online, but the couple of weeks before, we've been going through this Jacob series, and we've seen quite the drama happen between a family, between brother and, uh, and this guy's named Jacob and a guy named Esau. Now, Jacob has been a trickster this whole time. We've seen that he has gone and he has basically manipulated his brother into giving away his birthright. And now in the last week, we saw that he actually tricked his father into thinking he was Esau and giving away his blessing as well. And so we are kind of in the midst of a bit of one of those moments where Esau has decided in his heart that he is, because of what his brother Jacob has done to him, he is going to kill his brother. And not, this is not some metaphorical thing. He literally is at the point where he's so mad he starts that talking to yourself out loud kind of crazy mad. And he literally says it out loud so that his mother Rebecca hears him. And so because she loves Jacob, she of course goes and tells him and what does Jacob has to do? He has to run. And he's got to flee for his life. Otherwise his brother might just kill him when his dad dies. And so that's where we're going to be at today into the story. And we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22. So go ahead and get your Bible out with me. Um, I'm going to pray here in a moment. And as you're doing that, I want you to keep in mind this main idea that this whole message is going to be out. And this is this, is that God is the one who makes a way. God is the one who makes a way. Won't you pray with me as you sit there? in your home, whether you're at your table or at your couch, and just really ask God to right now in this moment to take his word and to make it alive in your heart today. Jesus, we thank you so much that your word is powerful and it is true. And it doesn't matter what happens in life around us, God, that you are going to take your word and you're gonna honor your son and you're gonna help us to see you and to know you through it. And so God, I pray that you would do that right now in this moment as we listen to you speak. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Genesis chapter 28, why don't you go ahead and turn and we're going to look at verses 10 through 11 as we get started. And here's what they said. It says, and then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went towards Haran. 
And he came to a certain place, and he spent the night there, because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place, and he put it under his head, and he lay down in that place. I want us to really try to get a picture of what's going on here. Jacob is a man on the run. His brother is, is waiting for his father to die so that he can go and kill him, and Jacob has no idea what's going on. He has no clue when he's going to see his father again. He may not ever get to. He has no idea when uh, he's going to see his mother. Um, his, his brother is just, just waiting to get him. And all of a sudden, he finds himself on this journey several days from home, from anyone that he knows, from, from a place that he's, he's never been before. He's in this mountainous, possibly ravine, and it's just a desolate place, and he's all alone. And he looks around, and it's nighttime, and he's tired. He wants to rest. And so he finds this stone. I want you to just imagine how, how hard that stone must have felt for him as he tried to lay down and rest. I don't know if you've ever been to a place where you didn't have a pillow and you didn't have a, a blanket and a bed. It is awful. It's, it's the worst. There, it, it feels almost impossible to find rest, especially when you think about there was no shelter for the weather. There was no shelter for dangerous travelers that might have been on the way. You got to remember that because he's on the run and his, his brother Esau, he was a skilled hunter. We know that he was like the manly man. That's why he was his father's favorite, that he could get him and find him. So he had to go along these ways that were dangerous and unknown to him. It makes me think of the movie Lord of the Rings, uh, because why not? Um, and it makes me think of a couple of guys named Pippin and Merry. They're two hobbits, and I, if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, you really have no excuse over the next few weeks. There's so much time to, to read the books, to watch the movies, to put on Spotify the soundtrack. It's amazing, right? And, and to really understand Lord of the Rings. But you have these two characters, and they are trying to reach their friends to help them who are in danger. And Pippin, one of the small child folk who are called hobbits, um, he says this classic line that I just love. He says, he says, the closer we are to danger, the further we are from harm. It's the last thing he'll expect. And so this is kind of the place that Jacob finds himself in. He's having to go along these dangerous waves to try to ensure his safety from his brother. And while there may not be hordes of orcs and enemies trying to hunt him down, he feels in his heart that danger is very real and near to him. But the good news is this, is that God has a plan. Because why? Because God is the one who's going to make a way. And so God, in his grace and mercy with Jacob, decides that he is going to visit him in a dream. So if you're taking notes, write this down. because This is going to be our first point. Is that God pursues us in the middle of the messes we make. God pursues us in the middle of the messes we make. If we're really to faithfully understand this story and really more importantly understand the heart of, of who God is, we have to really see here that by God coming to Jacob and visiting him in a dream, that he is doing that in spite of the fact that Jacob has been nothing but a trickster, a conniver, a manipulator his whole life, even from the womb. This is who this guy was and acted like. And what's crazy about this story is that even though, yes, that Jacob um, could look to his mother as part of the problem because it was her idea in the first place, and he could try to blame his brother Esau because Esau was the one who didn't have any reverence towards God or love in his heart for God. The reality of this is that Jacob was trying to um, achieve something um, 
pursue something that was already promised to him, but he wanted to do it in a way where he didn't have to involve God in the situation. It's just like Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned against God. God had said that, that he made them in his image and the devil comes to them and he's like, well, the reason why he doesn't want you to eat of that tree is because then he knows you'll be like him. And so what do they do? They try to go about being like God, something God had already promised to them, had already made them in his image, but God wasn't a part of the situation. And so now Jacob is having to live in his mess. Have you ever been there? Maybe, maybe right now, because of what's going on with, with the economy and with schools closing and not having any childcare and all that stuff, maybe you've made some decisions in life recently that now are coming to a boiling point because you have to deal with them. Are you having to live in a mess right now just like Jacob? Well, if so, I want you to see that we can praise God because look at how God moves in mercy towards Jacob. He comes to Jacob in the middle of his isolation, in the middle of his running, and he comes to him in this dream and he reveals himself to him. That's amazing when you think about it. Jacob has no right, he deserves nothing, and yet God pursues him in the middle of his mess because this is who God is. There is no one that God can't reach. There is nothing that we have done that can cause us to be too far from God, loving us and saving us. That's who God is. Now I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 28, verses 12 through 14. Let's keep reading. It says in that, in that Jacob had a dream and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. And the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. And your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so this is kind of this cryptic dream. Uh, this is kind of one of those famous things that when you start reading the Bible, especially when you look in the Old Testament, you're like, whoa, what's that whole Jacob's Ladder thing all about? And it's really pretty simple. And it's a beautiful picture. And it's this, is that first and foremost, that God is saying that I am here in heaven and I want you to understand, Jacob, that through you and in you and in your descendants, I am connecting with the world that you as a person and as a people are meant to be a foretaste of what is happening in heaven and what heaven is like here and now in your world so that when people see you, they will know that I am God. It is, it's so much akin to uh, what Jesus said when he said that, that lost people, that they're gonna see you, the world's gonna see you and your, your love for one another and they're gonna know you're my disciples because of it and they're gonna glorify my Father in heaven. This is a picture of God connecting with earth through the people of Israel. They're gonna become this incredible nation, but even more importantly, through them, Jesus would come. And so Jesus here is really the perfect, the fuller picture. He's the, the better Jacob that will fully realize what it means to connect heaven to earth that through his coming and leaving heaven and coming to earth and putting on flesh and living a holy life in our place that we can't 
do on our own, just like Pastor Craig talked about a few weeks ago, he lives this holy life and he then exchanges his right standing that he has with God the Father. He, he does that for us and he, he gives us his righteousness. And he takes our sin and he takes our shame and he takes our judgment in our place. Jesus is this ladder. He is this staircase between heaven and earth. And it is beautiful. And he has come to Jacob and he's showing him this vision. Now, this is so amazing because the human inclination is always that we would reach our way up to God. Whether you look at the Tower of Babel in, in Genesis or you look at your own life and you think about how are the ways that you and I just naturally try to make ourselves right with God, it always begins with us. But God is here. He's showing up to Jacob and he's giving him this vision of what it's really about, what the truth really is between connecting with heaven and it comes from God through Jesus. This is incredible. Jesus is the ladder. And so I want you to write this down so you don't forget it because this is so important about how God was moving. And it's this, is that God is always at work even when we can't see it. God is always at work even when we can't see it. See this dream what nobody else could see. Only Jacob, God shows it to him. He shows him the way that he is working in the world. And he's gonna do it through Jacob and through his descendants and ultimately through the Messiah whose name is Jesus. God is always at work, even when we can't see it. Now, verse 15 says this, says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now, up until this point, the only kind of relationship that, that Jacob had with the blessing was one that he had stolen, one that was also given to his grandfather and to his father, but not one that he had personally experienced. And so here is the first time that God actually reveals and speaks to Jacob that he is gonna bless him, and that through him, are the descendants of the earth going to come? And ultimately, Jesus. That is so important for us to see here. This is the climactic shift in the life of Jacob, in his heart towards God. Because here's the thing, it's one thing for God to speak something to our parents. It's one thing for God to speak something important and powerful um, to our friends, to our loved ones. And it is an entirely different thing when God speaks to us, when he speaks to me. It's powerful, it's life-changing. And reality is this, is that this is an essential understanding, essential un um, element of our faith as Christians, is that we cannot ride the coattails of those who have gone before us, that we have to come face-to-face -face with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and decide whether or not we are gonna believe that and follow Jesus or we're gonna go our own way. What also is cool about this is that statement where God promises to be with Jacob. Did you know that never up until this point has God ever made this promise to anyone? Never. Jacob, of all people, the trickster, the manipulator, he is the one that God has gone to and said, I'm gonna be with you, I promise you. 
right in the middle of the mess that he has made. This is incredibly encouraging for us because here's the reality. We are much more like Jacob in this story while he is in the middle of his mess than any other character we might try to associate ourselves with. But the good news is this, is that just like God had promised to be with Jacob, he promises that he will be with us. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. It says, and then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Jacob had no clue that God could or would ever desire come and meet with him. But not just meet with him and bless him and not just meet with him and bless him, but also promise to be with him. God is the one who makes a way. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes the only thing that ever will get me from day to day is the reality of this truth that Jesus has promised that he will be with me, just like he promised he be, would be with Jacob. John 14, 16 through 17 says this. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. God's promise here to be with you is not some ethereal type of statement that the world really likes to kind of make to make people feel better. No, God has actually promised through Jesus that he has given us a helper for all those who belong to him, for all those who have, who have attached their hope to Jesus and turned from trusting themselves. The Holy Spirit has literally been promised to live in us and to be with us. There's nothing we need more sometimes than just to know that God is with me, that God is with me, that the Holy Spirit is here, he's alive, He is working. And even in the midst of the messes that I make of my life, even in the most stupid decisions that I make, God does not see that and go, I've got to go. I've got to run. And for some of y'all, that should be just incredibly encouraging because every time that you don't live perfect, every time that there's any kind of mistake in your life, people in your life who said they care about you, they decide all of a sudden they no longer need you or want you. And yet Jesus is here coming to a guy like Jacob who is an absolute disaster, and he promises to be with him. God is always at work, people. Even when we can't see it, he pursues us in the middle of our messes, and he promises to be with us. Let's keep reading verses 18 through 22. And it says that, so Jacob, he rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on its top. And he called the name of that place Bethel. However, priestly name, the name of the city was Luz. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, and he will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and a return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. Jacob is awake. He's, he's finally awake. 
Not just literally because he's woken up from this dream, but in his heart, in, in, his, in his innermost being, he's alive now to who God is and to what God is about. And he knows and he's in awe of the presence that he's experienced through this dream. Think about this. He wakes up and all of a sudden he starts looking around and the only thing that he sees is that stone. That stone which was once just a symbol of his, all his wrong decisions, all his manipulations, all his running, the isolation that he's experienced, the hardship that he had found himself in. And now all of a sudden, he has decided to dedicate it as a place that he would be a reminder of what God has done. That God was there, that God was with him, that God had promised something to him. And here's what I want you to notice is this, write this down is that God turns our places of mourning into places of worship. God turns our places of mourning into places of worship so that now every time that Jacob would ever go that way again or anybody who knew the story and they understood who Jacob once was, they would look at that and they would go, wow, we need to worship God because of what he has done. That is what God wants to do in our lives because here's the reality is that the enemy is trying to use everything he can to get us to go the wrong way, to get us to, to use sinful means to, to procure things in our life, whether it be power or influence or money or satisfaction. And yet, just like with Jacob, God wants to take those things that the enemy intended for evil and he wants to do what? He wants to use it for good. He wants to use that as an opportunity for worship. So not now when you come to that place and you think about that poor decision, you, 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 rem, you see that person that you're in a, the wrong relationship with, right? When you, when you think about uh, that, the, that horrible life choice you made, God would be able then to be able to speak to you and go, remember what I did in you. Remember what I'm going to do through you. And all of a sudden now you can worship God and say, praise you. It makes me think of the life of one of Jacob's sons, actually, Joseph. You know, he was a guy that made all the right decisions, quite frankly. He was his father's favorite. And yet his brothers, they sell him into slavery. And while he's in slavery, he gets wrongfully accused of, of rape. So then he finds himself in jail where he is used and forgotten. But ultimately, he would find himself number two in the land of Egypt. And through him, God would use that position so that not just Egypt, for, but all the surrounding lands, that people could come and find food in the midst of a terrible famine. And some of those people who would have to come to him would be his brothers that sold him into slavery. And when they find out that he is there, when they find out who Jacob really is, that he is now number two in Egypt, they are terrified for their life and they are just begging for mercy. But instead of justice and revenge, what does Joseph do? He runs to them and he hugs them and he kisses them and he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. I love that story because the reality is I make so many poor decisions in my life and the, the devil too often is able to, to confuse me and manipulate me and use fear in my life and, and wrongful desires in my life to get me to make sinful decisions. And yet Jesus is ever with me. 
His spirit is ever in me and he's wanting to take those things and use them as a testimony for the time so that when I start to actually follow Jesus, people would now worship God because of it. And that is what God is doing here through Jacob. And I'm not, some of you might be sitting there, you, got, you might be thinking to yourself, but wait a minute, didn't Jacob say, if, if God does this, then I'll do that. If God does this, then I'll do that. And listen, I know you're sitting there in your pajamas, eating your bonbons, and you're having a good old time. But, but here's the thing. If you were to really understand this if statement, you have to realize that in the original language, in this context, the word if there means since. This is a declaration of faith. It is not a conditional statement about doing something if God does it, but rather it is a since statement because God has done, because God will do, I will trust him and he will be my God. He makes this vow about how he will be my God. Not just my father's, not just my grandfather's, but mine. And I will walk with him and I will not only do that, but I will give him a tenth of all that I have. This is an amazing turn from the person that Jacob once was to the person that Jacob has become and is becoming. And if I could leave you with any kind of challenge as you are really, quite frankly, forced to, to be with the loved ones in your life around you, it's this. It's to sit and pray with one, other, one another and ask God, what are the sense statements that I need to write down as a reminder to what God has done in my life? What are the sense statements that need to take place and need to be up on mirrors and on the background of my phone and alarms that are set as reminders because God has been so good in pursuing me in the middle of my mess because God has been actively at work in my life even though I didn't see it and I, and I might have even I've profaned his name at times if not verbally but in my heart. We need more sense statements. Because God wants to take the moments and the opportunities in our lives where the devil would want to use for evil that we would then be able to use them as an opportunity for worship, to praise his name, to bring glory to his, in, his name and to walk more fully in what it means to be a Christian, to follow him. And so I want to close with prayer. And I just want to ask you as you're sitting in your home, maybe you're by yourself, maybe with your family, I don't know. And I wanted you to just sit there and honestly ask God, what are the sin statements that need to take place in my heart today? What are the sin statements that need to become a regular rhythm of my life so that I never forget how you pursued me? Now I never forget that you were at work and so that I will never miss an opportunity for worship. Why don't you do that with me right now as you, as you pray in your home? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this incredible narrative. It's a beautiful story about how you left heaven and you met with a man who did not deserve your grace and your favor and your mercy, and yet you choose to because you are the God who makes a way. It's who you are, it's what you do. And God, I just pray for every person today. I pray that we would take this time where there's an incredible season of reflection really forced upon us that we would utilize it for your kingdom, that we would utilize it for your glory and that we would ultimately utilize it because it's for our own good and that you would show us in our lives what our sense statements need to be. 
God, I pray you would make those crystal clear. And then as we go about our weeks and whatever this unknown future holds, that we would have incredible testimonies about the way you are working in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, so that the lost people around us will see you and glorify you, who you are. We love you, Lord. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.